Lights. Camera. It's the sequel to Cinemagic. Cinemagic 2, Electric Boogaloo. Is that a good title? That's that's a great title because you know what? I love my breaking. All right. So let's roll the intro and dance it out. But you know, I you you know the feeling. Uh, yeah, I can't pop and lock too well with these muscles. Yeah, so. I can't. Just you know, because I went rowing yesterday and I rowed 14 miles like an idiot. Um, <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> Welcome to Cinema Magic, our podcast where we're following up our action films in our 21st or 22nd episode sequel films. Sequel. We promise you a sequel. <laughs> Since we're doing so well, we promise you a sequel. Mm -hmm. And for this one, we're going to go over our favorite, I guess our favorite sequel films. Now, we have some, uh, 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 a lot of um, uh, uh, criterion uh, before for what constitutes a sequel film or not. And we'll get into that after I introduce my favorite podcast host and co-host, Rick Acevedo, who's looking more swole than I am. Because he's been rowing all day. I've been rowing all damn day. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, I've been rowing. Um, I was rowing yesterday. Uh, yes, well, yeah, last week. Um, and I did 14, yeah, 14 miles on a kayak in a river. And then um, I was left wondering why for far longer than I should have. <laughs> Thank you all. <laughs> And uh, if, you, if you don't know, it's been really hot out there. So special but. shout out to our film partner and um, and post guy, Mike. Mike, I swear I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna take you out to the river, and I am going to end you for doing this to me. Uh, can our producer Brendan please cut that out for legal reasons? <laughs> uh, I do not need to be indicted or implicated. <laughs> No, we love Mike. We wouldn't do that to him. Mike is also, he's also the most dangerous man on earth. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that to him. And, and we've been trying to get Mike on this podcast to uh, talk about all the wonderful things he has done. It is a big shout out to him. You are wonderful. You are amazing. Thank you for all the great and things And the best do. antagonist in everything we do, which is fantastic. And we will explain what that means far later on down the line. Not right now, but I'll tell you one thing. Mike serves as an antagonist because he can corner animals and berate them. Yes. Yes. He's the best at it. He's he the is best the best at, at it. it. Uh, so much so that if you saw him do it once, you'd want him to do it again. As we're talking about sequel films, because once, <laughs> once you got such a great movie, you twice want is just as nice. And so really, when we started to talk about sequel films or we wanted to, we had to realize we had to set some criterions into place, or I did. I wanted to take away anything that was a planned trilogy. So we're talking about your Hunger Games, we're talking about a lot of your Marvel movies, when everybody's already planning out three or four movies. We're talking about those movies that were one and done and then came out with another. Because honestly, and as filmmakers, Rick, I think you'll probably agree with this, it is much harder to take a film that you thought was complete and done to write a sequel than when something you're planning out to make sequels, right? Like, you know, you got one movie, you got three movies to tell the story versus I got one, I got to tell it, I'm done. Now you want another one? What do I do? 
which I think is very different from planning out something. I think, you know, a lot of times sequels have a lot to do with box office performance because Mm -hmm. the big plan is usually we'll have this one film, we'll release it. Um, You know, then based on how it performs, immediately the dollar signs come up and it's like, okay, well, clearly people are invested into these characters. Um, It's a great opportunity for us to then go ahead and take these characters and make them bigger um you know and by releasing more and more and more um one great example of that um, would have to be there's two and sequels are different because sequels can apply to anything they can apply to action they can apply to they can even apply to drama definitely comedy but two of my biggest examples um would have to be first three men and a baby three men and a baby was based on on a french film uh of the same name but in french obviously and that film was a massive and i do mean massive box office hit for the time and it was in 1987 it made maybe 1988 one of those two it made, I think it was $160 million in the box office. So immediately they thought, okay, well, this is good. Let's make a sequel. So four years later, you have the lesser successful, still successful because it made $70 million in the box office, uh, Three Men and a Little Lady, mm-hmm. which was about you know the, the little girl being older and so on. And then there's Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. <laughs> um, it made a hundred and twenty-five, I think, million dollars in the box office, making it like the hit of the year. It might have been more. It might have been one hundred and fifty. I don't know. But then after that, I think it was about a year later, two years later, in December of ninety-three, they released Wayne's World two. Mm. You know. Um, Sometimes franchises are built just on the success on of one film. Fast um, and Furious is a classic example. Fast and that Furious was not planned is, is as a franchise. No, was, but then again, neither was Austin Powers. Mm-hmm. Austin Powers was a one and done type thing. International Men of Mystery was supposed to be the only thing that happened. Then I think two more films came out thereafter. Um, so those are the type of films we're talking about so I want so we're not talking about the Harry Potter movies we're not talking about Hunger Games we're not talking about even most of the Marvel movies because most of them are very planned sequels whether or not the box office is doing one they have all of them planned Um, and so because and as we know this it's notorious that sequels aren't good when I say this that sequels are worse than the original films yeah they're not as good yeah, that's the, that's the common nomenclature around them. Because again, when you are planning to tell just one movie, as Rick was giving all those examples, those movies are usually done. You wrap up the story and you're done. You never thought you're gonna do another one. Maybe you're like, I have plans, but for the most part, everything's on page. And then the box office rolls in and they want you to do another one. And now you gotta write a whole new story and was essentially a closed story, right? A closed system. It's all been closed, it's been wrapped up. Now we have to find new stakes. So those are the sequel films we really want to talk about and some of our favorite there. So if you're saying Captain America Winter Soldier was great, I agree. It's not included in this one, right? (laughs) Just let you know. It's not included in this one. We're taking those out. So we want to give you those examples. And 
Um, for all of us as independent filmmakers and you out there, you may be required one day to write a sequel yourself uh -huh. uh, um, uh, for something. Uh, and so again, these things are notoriously hard to do. So like, we're, we're going to take a look on things that we liked, ones we liked and didn't like, uh, and kind of dissect probably a little bit of what worked and didn't work um, on them. So uh, uh, Rick, do you want to start with giving us maybe one that worked for you, one that didn't work and telling us a little why? Um, probably Jaws. Um, Jaws was not supposed to be was not supposed to be a franchise, and for those of you that aren't aware of this, Jaws is a franchise. There were four films made. The last two of those films, which were made in '83 and '87, were not by any means really at the level of Jaws, the first film. But we're talking about Jaws one and two. Okay, so Jaws one, classic. Um, even with all the issues that they had with the shark, there was something unique about it because you felt that that was about it. But then when you take the story and you decide that you're going to bring the shark back, like now it's a supernatural shark. Oh, yeah. By, by four, it was going after the family. It was specifically. Now, apparently, the shark had a conscience and knew who the Brody <laughs> family was, where they lived and what was going on. And he was going after them uh, to, to, you know, to murder them. Uh, Jaws 3 didn't really make any sense to me because it's like they went to, I think it was shot in Cypress Gardens in Florida. Um, and basically the whole point was, you know, Jaws was coming to terrorize a, a, a park, like one of those ocean theme parks that, um, you know, the Brody kids just happened to be working at. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you're trying to build this story but you're building, first of all, the, the, the shark now has come. First of all, he survived somehow. And in some cases, he even got plastic surgery, which, you know, what happened there? And, and he's developing, like, common sense somehow <laughs> to know where. And, and, and so if you leave, all right, if you leave um, that small New England town that they were from, Amity, was, it was called Amity, right? Um, um, I think so. I'm always confusing with the enemy. Of Amity Island. Island. I think it was New Amity York. Island or something uh, like that. Yeah. If you leave Amity Island, you're going to go to the Bahamas. Jaws is literally going to make a trip to the Bahamas by, you know, the fourth film to to go get his revenge on the Brody family, which yeah. is a massive stretch of the imagination. It, could you say it jumped the shark? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right it's okay so imagine that scene from happy days except for jaws is the shark wearing the leather jacket and shorts getting ready to jump another shark it's a <laughs> great it's a great it's a great actually that's the greatest analogy yes you're yeah. right it jumped yeah. the shark the shark jumped the fucking shark uh, so I'm, I'm guessing your problems with it is that it took the suspense, the small atmosphere, everything that really worked in Jaws and just got rid of it all. For The problem, the problem to me was that it, it isn't just that it did that. It's it happened in increments like Jaws 2, which was made four years after uh, Jaws 1, was a fairly decent movie. I'm not taking that away from it, but. At the same time, um, Jaws 
it was missing a little bit of something. Jaws 2 was missing a little bit of something because it didn't have those same conflicted characters. I mean, Brody was kind of having PTSD and everything like that. So you can, you can kind of still relate. And now he's just trying to save the kids from this demon shark. Jaws 3, it's like it fell off the wagon completely. And then Jaws 4, it's like they try to bring the wagon back. They brought Lorraine... Um, I think it was Lorraine Gary, the, the played the wife back in, and they had a good cast of people. Maria Von Peebles was in it, and, but the cast cannot salvage a bad story, and this was not a, a good story. There was no way to tell it in a way where people could relate to it. So no, yeah, it, it just it kept losing parts of the formula as it went along. Well, I get you. I, I will counter with an opposite that I think. Uh, does the jaw thing, but very better. Uh, it keeps the formula and ratchets it up. And I'm actually going to go with another one in my wheelhouse, if you know me and what I love, Silence of the Lambs, which is a That's sequel great. That is great. to Manhunter. So it's actually a sequel. Most people think Silence of the Lambs standalone, but it's an actual sequel to no. an earlier movie. Um, and they take the villain, ratchet it up. The hero kind of ratchet, <laughs> all ratchet up. Wasn't, wasn't Manhunter the one that started um, William Peterson from um, CSI? Mm -hmm. I think that's the one from 86. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or 86, 87. Yep. Something With, like that. Or 86. Yeah, somewhere around there. But Silence of the Lamb kind of takes it all and makes it better. Iconic. <laughs> Classic. The cat and mouse game, the serial killers, uh, Dr. Lecter himself, all of that becomes better from the <laughs> from the original uh, and, and none of it becomes worse. Not that Manhunter is not worth seeing because you de definitely should, but Silence of the Lambs seems a superior version of that film. So instead of taking the Jaws formula and making it worse and literally jumping the shark, Silence of the Lamb takes its serial killer formula uh, serial killers another serial killer knowing a serial killer and playing a cat and mouse game formula i should say <laughs> they make that even better uh so silence of the lamb to me is such a great sequel film uh for that if you have not seen that big bear stars jodie foster she's in it as well anthony hopkins is in it it's a very all-star studded movie most people do not know it's a sequel um, I would watch the original and then watch the sequel just to see the evolution of it and just see how much better that mystery in the game becomes. Uh, I know it's an older movie. I don't like to give too much out because people may have not seen it yet, but definitely watch both because I think that is definitely two things to, to see back to back. See Manhunter and then see Silence of the Lamb. I think it's one of, one of the, and I'm going to talk about more, but one of the greater sequels out there. No knows. doubt. No doubt. And it was based on a book, I guess to say, but I, I feel I feel it's it's in its own special category. Maybe. I I, I think I think so. Yeah, actually, I think yeah. you're right about that. Um, yeah. But I think when you talk about the Silence of the Lambs, it has something that not every film has, and it plays to that psychological aspect a lot more. You know, because it's it's about two characters basically figuring each other out um, mm -hmm. and you can't do that with a rubber shark but you, can, <laughs> but you can do it with a character that's layered like Hannibal Lecter Hannibal Lecter has a million layers I don't know if anyone can say that they dislike Hannibal Lecter as a character because Hannibal Lecter is 
horrendous in terms of his execution. I mean, we're talking about he's eating people and, and doing all this other stuff. However, if you see the people that he's specifically targeting, they are not good people. Mm. So while what he's doing is not right, the people that he's doing it to aren't very much right individuals either. Yep. So it's the it's one of those cases of man, two wrongs don't make a right, but it almost seems like they sort of do. <laughs> yep. That's and what I, I love think, about this. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think compelling characters. If you're gonna write a sequel out there, you think on a sequel, it, your characters have to be the forefront of it, and you yeah. have to give compelling reasons for them to be there, and not that oh. You know, sharks, family. I'll chase them down to the Bahamas. Uh, yeah, that just doesn't make it. You know, sense. I think I think there's the difference here is like, of course, if you're talking about Jaws, for example, that's a movie that pretty much saved Universal Studios in terms of you mm-hmm. know giving them just a massive profit margin. Yep. Um, at that particular period in time, where studios really did need to make money at that point in time they depended on the box office far more than they do now you know studios now are basically just parts of conglomerates uh, major studios they're parts of conglomerates so they don't always depend on box office as much they used to depend on box office greatly back then so jaws was like okay we got this formula lightning in a bottle let's see how we can you know um make this continue to pay out until the next big thing would would come along which in that case it was et seven years later you know good thank goodness they don't have a sequel for that because i i can't (laughs) you know i mean that and and those and that that does have actually prime that is prime for sequels because they wrote a book et is based on a book and that you know they wrote a book after that called green planet Mm. et's green planet as i remember reading that so it's like, oh, you know, but thank goodness they didn't do that. They, they didn't do that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like that one. Uh, so give us one you actually like, because I gave one I like. Give one that you like. One that I like. Hmm. Gosh. These ones weren't planned either, I don't believe. Um the Pink Panther movies with uh, Peter Sellers. I'm I'm gonna go way back, way back in the way back machine here. Because the Pink Panther movies started in the 1960s, mm. okay. And then when Peter Sellers was, was uh, brought back to do it in the 1970s, it's like they had sh- they had shown the uh, evolution of the characters and everything like that. So I felt that they did this amazing job making films that were were taking place in a different period of time had shown character evolution growth but were still ridiculously funny mm-hmm. you know um and they found things to add that made them just you couldn't stop <laughs> looking away from them for a second so i like those particular um those particular films as far as sequels go you know 
Makes sense. I, I, I do remember watching Pink Panther as a kid. I haven't watched the franchise, I don't think, since I was uh, younger. And not the cartoon. I know the separation. Uh, <laughs> I just did haven't it, watched it since I was did it. Uh, So uh, those are ones I'll have to revisit uh, checking. Because I, I don't think I've seen them in a long time. Oh, I don't think I... It's, you have to watch, like, the very first Pink Panther, which I, th I think took place in 64, maybe 65. Mm -hmm. And then the ones that took place later on in um in the 70s mm. it's just it's night and day but they were really well done i agree with you so for my next pick i'm gonna i'm gonna do both right i'm supposed to do one i hate and i'm gonna tell you this or one i don't think it worked out and why but i'm gonna choose aliens and you're gonna understand aliens i love mm -hmm. everything after aliens terrible right <laughs> So the Alien franchise with Aliens, the Aliens with an S, has one of the greatest sequels of all time, right? Who took the horror atmosphere and tried something different with it instead of trying to recreate the horror, instead went action with Aliens and, and characters, which every subsequent sequel after that has just been just terrible. They, they have not been good. None of them. Prometheus is not good. Even the follow, uh, Ridley Scott has not been able to really follow up on what made Aliens good, even though he keeps having the same characters in there, <laughs> same situation. It just never worked out the same way as Alien, which was very claustrophobic, great horror film to Aliens, which was a great action film, which I didn't talk about it last week. And I wish I did. Uh, was such a great film, Aliens, with taking Ripley to really turn her from the survivor girl to the action hero that she was in Aliens, uh, to the rest of the sequels where they just really didn't know what to do with her, and they just kept recycling the same thing. Be the Alien franchise is such a mess. It's a compelling character. I think. And had I think that. I think that. You know, it's like one of these things where. If it makes money in the box office, people automatically assume that the film is good. Well, that doesn't actually... That's not true. Um, it's taking, you know... It's saying, okay... You're sitting around a writer's room saying, what can we do to make this a hit movie? Oh, I know. Let's take them to Disneyland or something. Because my next one... And I, th I think you'll know where I'm heading with this, but, you know, but you're not really actually talking about making the character even deeper than it already is. You're mm -hmm. not talking about adding character, character depth. You're simply talking about taking this character and having it be um, something, you know, having it do something that would seem outlandish, crazy and insane because it's going to make money. Mm -hmm. because, and, and that's not always on the onus is not really always on the director or on the writer it's a lot of the times on the studios when you have someone coming in saying okay we need this film done in two years that's all I'm giving you because yep. you know we made money the characters are fresh blah 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 although the thing with sequels now is you know sequels sometimes you know you have and I don't agree with doing this like 10 or 15 years in between films it's like uh, yes. Come on, man. We got it. We we. This was good when I was twelve. You know, uh, but it's yeah, not I so agree good with you, now. Blade Runner. 
like the Blade Runner through Blade Runner 24. It just, it's too but, long. But with, so. It's like the same thing with Terminator. When they decided to do Terminator 3, I believe it was 3, right? It, mm. it had been 17 years since Terminator uh, 2. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you're not, like, it's not the same. No. And even Terminator for... 2 was nine years after the first one, but Terminator 2 felt like an almost completely different movie with the same character, so that's why that hit. Yes. You it know? did the alien to aliens. Like, exactly. Terminator is a very horror film, and Terminator 2 is very much an action film. It's, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it jumps the genres to, in order to reinvent them and make it fresh. It does that with the stories, but I'm just saying, like, you know, the problem is you'll have, uh, you know, producers coming in a lot of times who don't necessarily understand the necessity for, you know, making sure that those characters have a certain degree of growth to them, you know, and you have a film that maybe has the potential to be something great, but isn't really because you know dot 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 and yeah. i think that that's one of those um unfortunate situations you know oh. not true i i got there to to go with one that i like again i'm gonna do this one and i think and you're gonna see that i think sequels work best when they kind of have a reason to be there because if you're not planning these out uh you you when i say have a reason like when they when they kind of switch genres a little bit and just go, okay, we got to mess around with this formula because if we don't, we're just going to have the same thing again over and over again. And I think where you see the sequels failing a lot is when they just keep doing the same thing over and over again and they're actually not trying to do anything new with the characters, the settings, uh, uh, the drama. So my second one is going to be Gremlins 2, (laughs) the new bat, which I think takes the, the premise and the horror of Gremlins and really just turns it on its head and turns it to more comedy and more outlandish of it. But they knew what they were doing. Wasn't that done in 1990? Was that done yes. in 19... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. And I'll, I'll, I'm never going to get the gremlins dressed up in a, in a lady dress with the makeup and, and the hair. Kind of Jessica Rabbit looking. Who was mm. still fine for a lot of kids. And me back in the day. Oh. Uh, uh, say it on Instagram. I know I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Tag Triskelion Productions and uh, uh, and pictures of the female gremlin. Uh, y'all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Show us your love out there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that it took its premise, which they said, if we did this again, it would just be wacky. And said, let's just make it wacky then. Right? Like, like, let's just make it wacky then. If we don't have a good way of like really telling the story again in an interesting way, and we have to keep the same characters, then they switched up that drama and made it wacky, which I think it makes it fun. Gremlins 2 is fun, where Gremlins 1 was a horror film, right? Gremlins yeah. 2 is purposely, purposely fun, not on purpose. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was purposely done rather than they ran out of ideas. Uh, so I think that is a way that you can switch the drama and make things goofy and ratchet it up without really destroying the franchise in the process. So. All right, so one that I absolutely thought, okay, this never made sense and it should have never happened, um, Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, yeah, that was and, and I'm going to tell you why. When you have characters that are unforgettable, um, you know, it's the Blues Brothers, Jacob and, and, and Elwood, and one of the people that plays those characters dies you need to let that character rest 
Mm-hmm. And you cannot at all try to, to redo that. Mm. You're not going to capture the magic. And also, Blues Brothers <clears throat> was a movie that during a specific time played very well because that's the sort of comedy that everybody likes. So, but when you release it in like 1999 or 2000 or whatever, it's not the same thing. No. You know? It, it was a good 14, 12, 14 years. Uh, it no, was a good time. It was about know. 20 years. Between, 20 years, yeah. It was a between, good time. Between, between films. But you don't have, you know, you have like John Goodman with um, Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd, who didn't physically look the same way that he had looked in, uh, in, in the original Blues Brothers. And, and, and John Goodman, who's a great actor, and all props to him and everything for, for having the courage to step on that. But it's like, how is that story going to play out in the year... When was it released? Like, 98, 99, 2000? I mean, it was, I know it was called Blue Bro- Blues Brothers 2000, but I, I just don't recall when it was released. Was it 2000? 98. 98. And Matt's 18 years. Mm-hmm. When everybody's, you know, the palate and the taste has all changed. Yep. You know? I, um, I, I think I, I particularly agree with you. It's very hard to make comedies with such a significant gap. I think if you're going to make a sequel film with gaps, you can do it with a lot of films. But comedies are very hard because comedy is situational and situations change all the time. I think if you can't adapt, because look, Coming to America and Coming Mm -hmm. to America Part 2, there was a massive gap in time, but Coming to America... Like part two was actually a lot better than anybody gives a credit for, and the reason is because they adapted the situation to reflect the way society had, does things now, while still keeping that sort of slap tick, slapstick kind of comedy and these, mm. these outlandish, larger than life characters. I mean, all praise to Wesley Snipes because he made that movie. Mm. I was watching Wesley Snipes and I was dying, absolutely mm. dying, because he was so good doing that. Yes. So you have that aspect there. But, you know, it's not always that way. As you said, take, um, you know, and and if you're not able to actually build in the amount of time that has passed, for example, Ghostbusters is a great example of this. In, you know, in Ghostbusters 2, Again, this isn't, wasn't a film that really was supposed to have a sequel or whatever, but they had a sequel, and basically it's the fallout from Ghostbusters 1. And they're mm-hmm. explaining that correctly throughout the entire film. So whether you think it's as good as the first one or not, you cannot say it's not a worthy stablemate. It was. Yeah. It was a good, a good story. It was well told. And it left it open for a sort of setup... I mean, and I don't know what afterlife is, how afterlife is going to touch on that, because there's so much there, there's so much of a difference there, and you're actually jumping genres on this mm-hmm. with afterlife. From what I've seen on the previews and everything, obviously, it's, yeah. it's a completely different story. Um, but again, it's using the you know what was given in the first, and then building on it. And giving you sort of a good idea of how the characters have changed over a specific period of time. And it's not easy to do that when you're talking about 
you know, two, three decades. Mm-hmm. And it's even if you do it, even if you write it in, it's not easy to make it believable. So I think that's one of the big big issues there. You know? No, no, I and I agree, and I agree with you. I'm I'm interested to see Ghostbuster Afterlife now that you bring it up. And Ghostbuster Two was on my list, so I'm glad I'm glad to talk about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, as you see, I said I I generally like when they skip genres. It's going to be very interesting taking this comedy and I think doing something different with it, which I don't think we see a lot. I don't think in the sequel follow-ups do we take a comedy and then make it not a comedy because that seems weird, right? <laughs> like, and I mean, just genre. We're talking about genre here. That seems weird. That seems weird to take a non-comedy. I mean, take a comedy and make it a non-comedy. I don't think that's really been done in a lot of sequels, at least that I can I don't think of. I've ever seen it done. That's the that's what has me so interested, particularly in Afterlife, because, um, you know, one of the things that really stands out to me is the fact that they're taking one of the characters, the one that's gone, obviously, uh, Harold Ramis has, has been dead for a while, a few years now, and they're saying this is almost the torture end to the life of the Egon character, which basically he just goes off and it clearly is to monitor these minds and things. That, I mean, they, they, they basically add aspects of the first film, which was so good. I'm sure they'll probably touch on the second in, in just brief periods, but you have all of these aspects to make a film that's seemingly a good little a little sort of suspense thriller kind of thing so i'm very interested in seeing what that will do honestly i'm really yeah. interested I, and i agree with you and we'll probably let everybody know here on the podcast once we've seen it oh yeah uh, if it comes out who knows <laughs> it will come we'll out see. someday <laughs> when it comes out someday <laughs> but no it's good to it. so i i think i think uh I, right we're interested to see now, when talking about sequels, I know there's two sequels, and I'm gonna put these back to back. <clears throat> Sorry, everyone. I'm gonna put these back to back, right? Because I think that, let's go into sci-fi, and I think the two seminal sequels that everyone knows of, and probably examples of how to do sequels right, and that is, of course, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back. I think both of these are probably what everyone would consider mm-hmm some of the better sequels of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to mention them out there and put them out, uh, <laughs> out there for both of the reasons. Uh, Star Wars Episode Five. if you don't realize it or haven't realized it as a Star Wars person, that's really the first introduction of um, actual lightsaber fighting and more of the Force and everything else. Yes, we got a little bit of it in uh, Episode Four, New York, but it was very little. It was almost non-existent besides this vague use the force luke and training besides that darth vader slices nothing that's it that's our force that's our you know (laughs) we don't get much except for darth vader little scenes choking or minor we don't get much of it episode five is what really expands that universe and the galaxy as a whole and makes it great and star track wrath of khan again makes that great villain the cat and mouse game between two villains and makes that uh, uh, just such a seminal piece in sci-fi that is so great that really both of those films I don't think have been outdone yet in terms of sci-fi. I, but, you know, 
the thing about Wrath of Khan is this. You know, and I'm not a like I'm not a super Trekkie, but I do remember the old show. Mm. And Ricardo Montalban did appear as Khan in the old show. Mm. I don't know I don't remember how many episodes he appeared in, but he appeared in in, in in a few of them to be a memorable character. And the way that they showed the evolution and growth of Khan in Star Trek to from the old series is just epic the, mm-hmm. the growth of the character and again that is a big part of it you mentioned star wars star wars you know i love that because it, it did give you that that feeling of man this is this is and the thing with that was star wars the original only had like a five million dollar budget mm-hmm. so because it was such a big hit and it was just massive profit margins and everything, licensing and everything like that. They now had money to make a, a far better movie in, in a lot of aspects that they didn't have before. And enough time elapsed to where, okay, you see the characters maybe a little bit wiser, a little bit older, a little bit smarter. You're not applying the actual three years to them because you think, okay, this is right after the fact and fine. But there's more to those characters, more depth. Again, it's about that. And, you know, when 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 films are given the opportunity to, to have a bigger budget, that usually helps. Mm. If you know how to do it, if you're not just throwing money at it and saying, man, we're going to do a ton of visual effects and zero story, you're going to do visual effects and you're going to do a good story with it, then... There's no telling where where the world will you know will end you know. No, and that's usually and I think for both of those like you said it's taking and expanding upon the characters, uh, not a way that jumps the shark. Yeah, when he's that all day. Yeah. Uh, as in oh they're actually demon sharks who want to go and chase the Brody family, but in ways that make compelling sense for the characters themselves. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, 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 I, oh, I gave the last ones any. Give us one, Rick. Here's another one. Okay, so this one was designed, written, and shot as a one and two, but then there was a three and four that was that were brought in, um, and that would be the Superman film starring Christopher Reeves. Yep. Because, and I have to make this distinction, people say, oh, you have the Batman franchise. Well, Batman didn't originally start out as a franchise. They had a one and two with Michael Keaton, mm. but it wasn't like... The, it, like Batman was gonna become the uh, the the James Bond of superhero characters. That wasn't. I don't really believe that no. was the intention. No, it's never um, the You know, so the Christopher Reeve movies one and two were great because they had one sets up the the arc for two while really giving you an an idea of who Superman is and his struggles and how, what he's becoming as a, as an individual. Two is, you know, Zod and his people coming back to Earth to terrorize and Superman deciding kneel that, before hey. Zod. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you must kneel before Zod. Great films. Mm-hmm. But then you get to Superman 3 and they didn't just jump the shark. They freaking flew over it because here's the thing. They didn't actually um, have 
what's his name, um, Gene Hackman playing Lex Luthor, as was the plan. So they made a cheap version of Lex Luthor with Robert Vaughn, um, who was a great actor and all, but just he was no Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. And then they had Richard Pryor, a computer genius, in the film serving as a comedic foil where in Superman, you know, how how does that all fit in? How do, I mean, because you, you had the Otis comedic foil before, but he wasn't heavily featured. No. So here it's like they have Richard, who is a tremendous comedian, but it's like it just all feels out of place. Yep. You know, Richard's not a villain. Richard Pryor was never a villain in any of his films. He was the opposite of a villain. And here you're giving him villainous traits. And, you know, it's like the best thing is, you know, good Superman versus bad Superman. But that's one thing in an entire film. Yep. And then Superman 4, I mean, I don't even know what this They finally bring Gene Hackman back, but it, it was like... I think five or six years after the third one where people had grown out of that, you know, a little bit. And you could tell that it was not the greatest budget on this mm -hmm. one. And it was just a completely different situation to where the film didn't really, like, they created a villain, the sun guy, mm -hmm. you know, and it just, it all felt like, yeah, oh, we'll wrap we'll wrap it up with with a plastic bow and whatever. Yeah, those those sequel Superman films were terrible. Batman Returns, as you mentioned, awesome, amazing. Danny DeVito, Michelle Pfeiffer, um, was unbelievable. Great. Superman yeah. Two was also great, but yes, three and four were terrible. That was yeah, just... but but then also if you look at Batman, when they changed Batman's and the you know they had Val Kilmer and then George Clooney, I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah, like and they it, were also it, terrible, which is... Uh, it wasn't really until the Dark Knight trilogy that I really got into it again, because I'm like, man, you, like, I don't want to need... I don't need to see another bat, uh, bat suit with nipples. It doesn't... Yeah, yeah, that was terrible. And to, and to move away from superheroes before we're done, the last one I'm going to speak of, which I have so many, from, like, Evil Dead 2 to Bad Boys 2 to Lethal Weapon 2 to even Scary Movie 2... Because uh, I still think that's a great follow-up to Scary Movie, Scary Movie 2. Um, and then uh, uh, the seminal, which I know we'll probably all talk about, Godfather 2, because that's part Absolutely. 2. That's probably the best. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sister Act 2. Yeah, that's right. No one was expecting this, but I'm going to say it. Sister Act 2, back in the habit, starring a Lauren Hill herself, uh, which Lauren, love you, baby. Loving me some Sister Act 2. Now, I know this one is panned critically, but I really think Sister Act 2, which I'm sad this didn't do good enough to uh, another one, was a good follow-up. It gave her a foil of doing something completely different instead of having to, like, run and doing the nun thing to hide from villains. She's now actually doing it to give back, and they, they have kids in it, and it's in her own thing about being a choir because she still doesn't quite fit in being a nun. And it's just a great movie and film to take that character in that direction that seems like a new point in her life. Instead of jumping the shark or doing some outlandish situation where she's in more mob shark like craziness, they kind of just drop that and make it a heartwarming family comedy with the kids and everything else. So I really think Sister Act 2 does not get enough love for being a good film. I think this is a sense where, since it kind of changed genres, people hated it for being 
from an older film to a friendly, friendly film. Yeah. And they kind of hated that change. But I think if you take it just as it is, that family friendly film, it's great. I think it's a, it's such a good Absolutely. sequel. It is a great film. And Whippy Goldberg, great actress. So Unbelievable actress. There's no, there's no, no, no getting around that. Okay, so in that same vein and around that same time period, I would have to say, and most everyone's gonna, gonna um, probably hate this, but uh, I would have to say Grumpy Old Men and Grumpy Old Men. Um, interesting. I was never expecting that one. That's a I, very interesting take. Because Grumpy Old Men was not, first of all, the first one was not really supposed to be a hit. Um, you had older, much older uh, film stars in um, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, who were a great pairing before. And they're doing this film. It kind of introduced them to a new audience. First of all, the film was actually not bad. You know, it had you know Burgess Meredith in it, which was great. Uh, Burgess Meredith loved me some uh, Mickey Goldmill. You know. The original penguin too, because he was he was the penguin in uh, in the TV show. <laughs> um, so I I felt that those films really explore the relationship between these two uh, older fellows really well. I don't think they get nearly enough love because I don't think a lot of people remember them. But um, yeah, those were those were two good ones. I felt, you know. And, and I've never seen them. Both comedic. Both of them, both of them were comedies. Yeah, they they were comedies. Yeah, Yeah, both comedies. I I I remember watching them and liking them and enjoying them. And that's another one we'll look up. So as we're kind of coming to our end here, and I know we've mentioned a lot of films, but if you were gonna say see the original and then the follow up, what's what's the one you'd recommend to everyone out there, Rick? Oh man, you know what? Although there is a third one, I am going to say this. Back to the Future and Back to the Future Part Two. I get I that. would say that those two, because that is complete. Like how the continuity in that was so great, and it just, I, it, it, it was two really well-made one and twos. You know, I say throw the third one afterwards because I love that whole trilogy. No, the, 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 come on. It's Back to the Freaking Future, man. 88, 88 miles per hour, baby. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I would have to say if you want to watch, you know, sequels and everything and, and, and pick up on how well sequels are done. Because, yeah, The Godfather, but that's an easy one. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, Back to the Future and Back to the Future Part 2, no doubt. Yeah. And I think for all the ones I mentioned... I'm going to say Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Yeah. So the reason I'm putting those in, because Evil Dead 2 is technically just a remake of Evil Dead, but I think you can see how if someone does, because a lot of sequels are just people doing the same premise over again, but I think if you watch Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, you can see how to do that correctly. Um, <laughs> it's the same scenario, but it switches it up enough and ratches it up enough to really warrant the sequel where I think the sequel can outdo the original on that one. So uh, it is a horror film. It is campy, but see Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2. Uh, and then see Army of Darkness, which is also great. because yeah. And the remake of Evil Dead. The whole franchise. See all of it. But I think Evil Dead 1 and Evil Dead 2 are a great way to see of how to really do a good sequel follow-up, even if characters are doing some of the same things over again. Yeah. I think that was nice. no. So 
All right. So that takes another episode of the Cinemagic Podcast. Woo. I've heard that my last clue to what we're doing was a little too vague. So I think I got a better one this time. Are you ready for it, Rick? I'm ready for it. It better be big. The Pixar movie Up. <laughs> That's my next clue. <laughs> so now you have Ghostbusters. <laughs> you have Skirts. Skirts. And the Pixar movie Up. Those are my clues. That's right. <laughs> and and if you guess <clears throat> what we're doing, we are going to send some candy to your house. Yep. Tag that, us on Instagram. Take some uh, that guesses. Doesn't, that doesn't Instagram sound creepy posts. at all, does it? <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds really creepy. Yeah, but go to Triskelion Productions on Instagram. Give us your guesses. Let us know what you think we're doing. And if you did, maybe we'll send you some swag or something from the set, some candy. Maybe a Toblerone. If you deserve it. I don't know if you deserve a Toblerone. No, none of you deserve a Toblerone. <laughs> so go there. But thank you for Cinemagic Podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. Woo! Ready? All right.